Praise God. Okay, while you're turning to Numbers 13, we've talked about promised lands before, and we know that in Scripture, of course, the promised land that's always referred to is um, where Israel was being promised that God was going to give them the land and so forth, where they were going to be heading. And we all know that you trek through the wilderness and everything, and we're going to get into a little bit of that. But God gives us, in modern days, in modern times, promised lands also, and we've talked a bit about this before. And a promised land for any one of us at any given time could be something that God has promised to you. It could be a condition, it could be a state of being, it could be employment, it could be a new house, it could be a new baby, it could be whatever it is that you're praying for. That's, and when you achieve that, that's your promised land. Um, we also know that in getting to your promised land, many times there's a lot of opposition in getting there. You'll have people that will contradict God's word. There will be circumstances that will pop up that don't quite seem to be where God would be taking you. But when God says he's going to give you something or God is going to do something for you, then God is, God is a God of his word. God will indeed make it come to pass. But the thing about it is that as we are going about and while we're on that journey to receive that promised land, as I said, you get much opportunity. Position. You get contradictions, you get circumstances that pop up that don't seem to be in line with you getting to where God says he's going to get you. And of course you have people that will be telling you things that are opposite to, the, to God's word. So today's message is, who do you believe? You know, do you believe the fact that God said, this land I'm going to give to you, this promised state of being or this promised condition I'm going to give to you, but whose word are you going to believe, God's word or the word of others or of other circumstances? So as usual, let's see what the word of God says about that because we can't have these messages unless we know it's based on God's word. So I've had you turn to Numbers uh, chapter 13, and we're going to look at, look at ancient Israel here and look at some of the, the conditions that they were under. Uh, 13, starting with verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Please in the line, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Okay? So uh, that little phrase, which I give unto the children of Israel, draw a line and squeeze into your margin someplace. God said it! Exclamation point. Okay? Right in, God said it, exclamation point. Because right there, God is saying, which I give unto the children of Israel. God is not saying at that point, which I maybe give to the children of Israel. I'm thinking about giving. It says there, which I give unto the children. So with God, it, this, is, this is a state of being. It's a condition. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Israel's going to receive it. Then it goes on to say in verse number 3, And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And then in verse, in verse 4, they say, it says, And these were the names of the tribe of Reuben, Shamun, the son of Zachor, and it goes on. And then in verse number 6, you see, Of the tribe Judah, Caleb, underline Caleb, the son of, of Jephunai. Okay, and then it goes on with some more names on down through verses 15. I'm not going to read them all. And then at verse 16 it says, These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Please underline Joshua. So, so far you have two names underlined, Caleb and you have Joshua, both underlined. Verse 17, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way unto the Negev, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people who dwell therein, whether they are strong or weak, few or many. Now underline in verse 18, go up and it says there, and see the land, underline see the land. 
Okay, so go go to look at it to, to figure out, to see what it is and so forth. And look at the people who are there where, and determine whether they are strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it is good or bad, and what cities they are that they dwell in, uh, whether in camps or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it is fat or lean, whether there is wood therein or not. And be ye of good char- courage. Please in the line, be ye of good courage. Be ye of good courage and bring to the uh, bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So he's saying basically, go up there, look at the land. Do they live in cities? Do they live in tents? Are there fortresses there? Strongholds? You know, you know, is there wood there? You know, are there grapes or fruit? I mean, what does the land look like to you? Go and spy it out. Verse twenty-one says, so they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men came to Hamath. And they ascended by the Negev and came unto Hebron, where, where Amion, Shashai, Talmai, the children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bore it between two upon a staff. This is the line, a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bore it between two upon a staff. Now, you know, when I think of a cluster of grapes, you know, I think about what they sell in Winco, <laughs> a little handful of grapes. You know, obviously this is something much greater than that because it took two men to carry it. So this is showing right there that the land was obviously, you know, plentiful. Um, and <clears throat> Excuse me. And then it says, and they brought of, of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. Now please in the line, after 40 days. Okay, after 40 days. Verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came into the land to which thou sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. Please not lie, surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, now here we go, underline nevertheless. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Okay? The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Necab, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the edge of the Jordan. Now, put a bracket around 28 and 29, if you don't already have it done so, and write the word obstacles. Okay? Because right away now, here someone is talking about obstacles. In the very, very first, set, uh, first uh, verse of 13, I had you underline, which I given to the children of Israel. So God said, I'm giving you this land. God told them to go up there and take a look at the land that I'm going to give to you. And they were 40 days. This was a long mission. Okay, 40 days they're up there looking at this land. They bring back all of the goodies of it. Then they turn around and say, but wait a minute now. You got these people there. The cities are walled and this and that. They're bringing up every single obstacle against them getting the land that God said he was going to give to them. Okay? We do the same thing in our life. Okay? God will tell us that I'm going to give you something. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to bring you to this state of being. I'm going to bring you here. Give you the house. Give you the baby. Give you a a new job. Give you a new environment. Whatever it is. God says, this is a done deal. But then what do we do? We sit and we start putting the obstacles there. I'm not qualified. I don't have the money. I won't be able to take care of the baby. I won't be able to do this. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. All right? Okay? And then, more importantly, you have someone else that comes back and says, well, 
How are you going to be able to do that? How are you going to succeed? You don't have this. You don't have this. This is going against you. This is in your way. So these are obstacles. So first thing we have to realize is that when God tells us to do something, we can't start looking at the obstacles. When God says that he's promising to do something for us, we can't start looking at the obstacles. Okay? Because they will be there. If they aren't put up there by another human being or condition, somewhere the devil or some imp will put something in your life, will bring something to bear that will make you perceive this thing. Uh Uh-oh, this is challenging what God has told me he's going to do for me. This is challenging. This is, this is giving me more of, a, of, of more of a challenge towards receiving the blessing that God has given to me, or that God has already told me is done. You see, we talked a little bit before about Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, now faith being continuous faith. God does not live in linear time like we do. You know, in this physical existence, we live in the present. There is a past and there is a future. You, you know, you, you don't jump from the past directly into the future and go past today, the present. We live in linear time. God doesn't. God lives in, 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 an, in an existence where past and future and present all are in one continuous now, if you will, for want of a better way to describe it, you see. So in God's mind, when God says, I've given this to you, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's already happened in God's mind because God knows the future, you see. So it may take time in our physical existence, in the existence that we understand, for it to manifest. Because when God says it's a done deed, for us it may be tomorrow, it may be next week, it may be next month. But it's a done deal, all right? But in the meantime, because of the fact that we live in this linear existence, lineal existence here, the devil knows that. And so he puts obstacles in our way and puts thoughts in our minds because while it's manifesting, the devil says, See, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you know, case in point, Daniel had the prayer to interpret the dream. Remember? All righty? And he didn't have the dream. All right? And then, and then the angel appeared with the answer, with the interpretation, and said that when, when, when you first prayed your prayer, God heard your prayer and answered it. Okay? So when God first heard your prayer, whatever it is that you're praying for, God heard that prayer and he answered it. But the angel said, however, in bringing the answer to the prayer, okay, the prince of Persia, meaning evil, the devil, stood in my way and withstood me 20 and one days until the archangel Michael came along and beat the, beat the enemy. Now I'm here to bring it to you. So for 21 days in Daniel's lineal time, while he was waiting for the prayer, but it was done. God had answered it, you see? So the same thing is in your life. When you're praying for, praying for something and you're wanting for something, God has answered, answered that prayer, but there will always be these perceived obstacles that will come your way, either from people, circumstances, or whatever it may be. All right? So continuing here to see how this whole thing plays out, in verse number 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well to overcome it. Please put a bracket around verse 30. So Caleb now, he says still to the people, he's telling them to be quiet, let us go up and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, right, right in your margin someplace there, confidence in God. Confidence in God, you see? So they had the obstacles there, but then there's one individual here, Caleb, who told him to be quiet, and he's voicing the confidence that he has in God, and he says, we are well to overcome it, you see? So when that obstacle appears in your life, through a person, a situation, or whatever, you have to make sure you have that same confidence in God, and say that I am well to overcome it. Whatever the issue is that is presenting itself before you, that I am well to overcome it in God, because God has said to me that this is a done deal, that this will indeed happen. 
happened. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And what happens now? Now that's a negative confession. Right in your Bible, there's a negative confession. You see? So you're playing, you see what's playing out here and think about how that can happen in your own life. God has promised you something, then all of a sudden all of the obstacles start popping up. Okay, then you come back and you say, I have confidence and faith in God. And then again, someone comes up and says, well, wait a minute, though. Those obstacles, those people, that situation is stronger than you, you see. So there's always someone or something that will pop into your life as a negative confession, you see. But what do we have to do? We have to hold on to what God basically said back in verse 1, which I give to the children of Israel. All right. So in other words, God has said that he's going to give this to you. He's going to bring you to this state of being or to this condition. And the obstacles that pop up, you have to, 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 to re-manifest or re-energize that confidence in God, and then, you know, kind of be prepared for the fact that somebody is still going to come back and say, well, wait a minute, the thing that is against you is stronger than you are, okay, with the negative confessions. There's always someone going to be around you with a negative confession, always. There'll always be a circumstance that will pop up that will, that will be negative to what God has promised you, because the, the devil would like to distract you away from what God is telling you is going to happen, come to pass in your life, you see? So be prepared for it. Then it goes on to say in verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land uh, that is eat, eaten up with, uh, eateth up, the inhabitants thereof, meaning that there's a lot of fighting, there's warring going on. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, who come, who come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, underline, we were in our own sight. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So now put in your margin, no confidence and, and fear. Now, and it's interesting there that it says, in our own sight. So what do you think of yourself? You know, you see, the problem with us many times is that we don't see ourselves as God sees us. So if we have a low, low esteem, low self-esteem, and a low opinion of ourselves, then we project that onto someone else. We project that onto them as seeing us as of no consequence, you know, as, as little as grasshoppers, you see. And they said they're in our own sight. See, so this is them confessing to themselves that we are unable to, to overcome these men. They're forgetting what God had already said to them back in verse, in verse number one there, which I give to the children of Israel. They're forgetting all about that, and they're looking at the natural. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, you know, we walk by the faith of God, not by what our natural eyes tell us or the natural environment around us, around us tells us. We walk by what God is telling us, you see? And don't view yourself as a grasshopper and being unable to overcome whatever the situation might be. Chapter 14 starts here and says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. You see, because of this, because of the fact that there's no confidence in God, when God tells us he's going to do something, and we, and, 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 and we internalize and take in what the negative confessions are around us, we become so worried that we wind up crying all night, so to speak. All right? We wind up wallowing in our self-pity. We wind up thinking that we're not going to be overcome, that we're not going to be able to succeed. We wind up with sleepless nights. We wind up worrying, you know, because we forgot that God said to this land I've given to the children of Israel. 
that God has said that this thing that you're praying for, God is going to give to you. All right, if it's in line with God's word, obviously, all right, that God's going to give you. You see, so so now because of what these others were saying, the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried, and the people wept that night. And verse number two, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. All right. So what happens here now after this? Because of the fact they're not keeping confidence in God. And they're getting weak need and knobby need and they're up crying all night. Who do they blame? Why not? Blame the preacher. <laughs> blame the preacher. All right? And so they're saying, so they murmured and they started talking about Aaron and talking about Moses. And they're saying that, and the whole congregation said of them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? So, or would God we had died in this wilderness? So they're, they're wanting to go back to their old state of being. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Oh, Lord, why did you bring us all the way out here and for all this to happen? Why didn't we just stay in Egypt and, and in the wilderness? Let us have died back there. You see, so they're, almost, they're willing to almost backslide because, they, because of the fact they run into what they perceive as being a little bit of opposition and they're thinking that they're not going to be able to succeed. And wherefore, verse 3, and wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land? To fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? Please in the line, return unto Egypt. Okay? So again, now they're saying, boy, here I'm not getting or seeing this thing that God is promising me. Why can't I go back to my old state of being? You know, why can't I go back to where I was before? Why can't I go back to not knowing God? Why can't, why can't I go back and, and not have followed all this religious, all this Christian stuff? Look where it's gotten me. It's gotten me in a place here where God, yeah, it says he's going to do something for me, but I can't overcome it. The circumstances are too great. The people that are there are too great. I mean, I'm not going to be able to overcome. Boy, I should, have just, I should just go back to the way I was. Would one really mean that? You know, would one really mean that? How much faith would that really be showing in God? If you would just be so quick and so easy to just simply say, give up, I wish I didn't know God, I wish I had never gone down this Christian path, you know? Once you decide to come to God and give yourself to Jesus Christ, Jesus said that in this world there shall be tribulations. He never said there wouldn't be. There will be challenges in this world, okay? But then Jesus went on to say in that same scripture, but I have come to overcome the world, you see? And you've heard me say many times, I feel so sorry for those that don't know the Lord, because while we have trials and tribulations in this life, we have someone to go to. We don't have to, to, to carry the burden ourselves. People that don't know the Lord when a trial or tribulation comes up, the only one they have to, reply, to, to, um, to uh, rely on is self. Or maybe some unknowing relative or some unknowing friend who's not going to give them much help. You see, but we as Christians, when we run into a challenging spot, we have God to fall back on. All right? But these people here in murmuring, they're saying, gee whiz, you know, why shouldn't we have just stayed in Egypt and just died right back there in Egypt? Verse number four says, and they said one to another, they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. Okay, so now all of a sudden they want to return to their old ways. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who, who were of them that searched the land, tore their clothes. You know, that was the old way of showing frustration. They rent their garments or tore their, their garments. Um, and Joshua uh, searched the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke unto all of the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is a very good land. A very good land. 
If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. All right? Now, underline in verse number 6, Joshua and Caleb, because here Joshua and Caleb were the only two that stood against the whole crowd of unbelievers. All right, Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two that stood up against everyone else that was, that was talking such negative speech and was, was saying that they were not going to be able to overcome the giants and so on. You know, so how bold are you when you've got that situation where someone is challenging you or you think that you're not going to be able to overcome and to, 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 to move into your promised land? How bold are you to stand up and go against what people are saying? And to hold your ground and not give in just because someone is saying, oh boy, this is too big for you. You know, you'll never be able to overcome. You'll never be able to succeed. How much faith are you going to maintain in God that going back to what God said is indeed will happen? Verse number 8, it says, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land. If the Lord is pleased with you, if you're doing what God is asking you and telling you to do, if you're following his commandments, you're trying your best, your best not to be slipping and sinning and everything, then as it says there, if the Lord delights in you, then he will bring you into this promised land that he's talking about for you. And he will give it to you, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. You see, so as long as whatever it is that you're waiting for to materialize, you don't rebel against God. You make sure you're doing what God is telling you to do. All right? Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you, the people of the land. And don't be afraid of whatever those circumstances or conditions or, or perceived obstacles are in front of you. Don't fear them. Don't fear them. You know, as long as you're following what God is telling you to do, and you're honoring God's word, you're keeping his commandments, okay, and you're not rebelling against the Lord, and you don't fear the people, you don't fear those perceived obstacles, for they are bread for, you, for us, uh, that will be something you will be able, able to overcome. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Please underline, and the Lord is with us. Underline, fear them not. Okay, please underline on that. The Lord is with us, fear them not. So while you're waiting for this thing to materialize, in other words, in your life, and you've got these obstacles through other people, things they're saying, circumstances or whatever, as long as you are sticking to the word of God and you're sticking to God and you're doing what he's calling you to do, don't fear those obstacles. Don't fear those people. Don't fear those thoughts. Don't fear those fears that the devil is trying to inject into your mind. Okay? All right, because God is greater than them. And God is promising that he will bring you through, that he'll bring you right through it. Only rebel you not against, verse 9 again, only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people or the circumstances of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them. Those things or people or thoughts that are trying to be obstacles for you, um, uh, their strength will, will depart from them. And the Lord is with you, fear them not. But all the congregation demanded to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of God. Thank God God showed up. Amen. Amen. They wanted to stone them. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown them. All right? You know... You ever, you ever stop and think that if you're not trusting God or if you're not believing God, you're provoking Him, you know? And any of us who have had children or a relative that was, that was a child, and if you were trying to, to, to get that child to do something and they were simply not behaving, not being mindful to what you're saying, you know how agitated that got you, how annoyed you know, the child can be if they're just constantly disobeying, disobeying, all right? 
This is what God is just saying here. You know? And Israel saw miracle, 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 miracle upon miracle. You know? And God is saying, yeah, how long will these people provoke me? You know? I keep showing them my mercy. I keep showing them my signs and wonders. You know, here they were, they were traveling and things were not wearing out. I keep showing them all these miracles. How long will they not have faith in me? You know? So we have to stop and ask ourselves, if we are not trusting God for our circumstance, if we're not trusting God to give us that or to bring us into that promised land, then are we indeed provoking God? You know, are we, are we angering him? Because of the fact that he's showing us all around us the signs and wonders of his existence and everything, and he's telling you to have faith, you're reading his word and you're praying and Holy Spirit is talking to you, and if you're not having faith still, then stop and ask yourself, are you, are you possibly provoking God? Verse number 12 says, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. Please in the line, disinherit them. And will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that they, thy clouds stand over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar by fire. Now if thou shalt kill all this people um, as one man, then the nations which, which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to give unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. So now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken. So what he's saying there is that Moses is actually pleading with God. He's saying, God, but if you smite all these people, then the nations that were surrounding us that heard of your power and your might and how you guarded us, you had the pillar, the pillar of fire and so on like that, the, the cloud and so on, all of this glory, Lord, that they've heard about you, then all of a sudden they'll start to think that you couldn't deliver them, you know? So he's trying to deal and bargain with God. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Here, all right. So he's saying, Lord, would you? He's saying, in essence, you know, you know, please spare them. So he's now I beseech thee in seventeen, let the power of my Lord is great, uh, according to thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. That is something that we need to think about also, because you know we need to make sure what we're doing. In this life because the sins that we commit can be carried out to, to the third and fourth generation. That means our children can be impacted by the things that we do. All right? So that's something else that we should always bear in mind too. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Alright, so Moses is putting this plea before God. Then the Lord answers. Verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men who have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swore to give unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. That provoked me see it. 
right? So you see, so we have to be careful there, you know, because if we start disbelieving God and not trusting Him when relative to our promised land and the things that God is saying to us, then we are provoking God to the point where while He's long-suffering and everything like that, it says that eventually these people here are not going to get into the promised land, okay? That they, they just won't make it. Verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land, whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Please put a, high, a bracket around verse number 24. So he's saying Caleb now, because Caleb made all of these positive confessions and were trying to convince the people not to give up, he's saying that he shall see the promised land. So, relative to us, where does that put us then? The things that we may be praying for and what you know in your life that you have high hopes for achieving or, or, or receiving. And God is saying, and you realize this is your promised land. This is this wonderful state of being or position or place, whatever it is that you want to be in. All right? And you're holding on to your faith in God. And, and in spite of obstacles and negative confessions that will come from other people, you know, come from your family. You know, you'd be surprised. You know, your family members sometimes will put the biggest obstacles in front of you because they think they know you, you know, and so it's, oh, you won't be able to do this. You're not great enough to do this. You won't achieve that, you know. That, that or, um, if we stand the way Caleb stood and says, no, no, we can do this. I can do this. I can do this. He's saying here that because of the fact that Caleb said that, he'll see the promised land. Because of the fact when you have opposition coming into your life and there are those that are around you that are saying you cannot, you will not succeed or achieve or get whatever it is that God has shown you as your promised land, if you maintain the way Caleb did, and keep your faith and, and keep your positive confessions, God is saying he shall honor his promise to you and that you'll see that promised land, you see. So who do you believe? You know, do you believe what others are going to tell you that are around you? Are you going, are you going to believe the circumstances, negative circumstances, where you, and you know where they come from? They come from none other than Satan himself. Who are you going to believe? You know, if God has said, I'm going to do this in your life, I'm going to bring you to this place, you're going to receive, you're going to achieve, you're going to succeed, but then you have all these other negative voices, whose voices are you going to believe? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as you making up your mind that I am not going to follow what, they, what these other voices and circumstances are saying to me. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit in him, and he didn't have that same spirit the other people did, and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Underline, and his seed shall possess it too. Because that's the other thing that we have to think about. The promised lands that God brings us into can wind up in, in, impacting your children and those that follow before you, after you, I should say, you know. So it's not all about us. It's not all about me as an individual. I'm thinking about downstream from me, you know, my children and those that would be around me. See, so when God puts you in that position, that promised land, whatever that might be, then that means that your, your, your successors will also benefit from by where you are, by what you have achieved, and the seed shall possess it. Verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Okay, now, this is where God is saying here, this is what I want you to do. When we run into that point where it seems impossible for us to achieve that 
promised land or to get to that place where God is promising us, God will give us directions. God will give us instructions. And he's telling them now to go by the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long, <coughs> excuse me, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me? I have heard the, murmurs, the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so I will do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all who were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, who have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein, except, please underline, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Please underline that. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, whom you... Uh, whom you said should be pray, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Please put a bracket or highlight all of that. All right. So what he's saying that all of those people from 20 years uh, uh, and older uh, who murmured against God, you know, and, and voiced all of the fact that they would not be able to succeed. Everyone except for Caleb and Joshua, uh, those would not be able to enter in. The little ones whom you said will be prey, who you said we wound up dying, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, and, uh, they shall fall in the wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years. Please note the line, and your, child, your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years. And bear your hollow trees until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Now listen to this in verse 34. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquity, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. All right? Put a highlight in your margin there and just write C um, 13. C chapter 13, verse 25. Remember I had you, remember I had you to underline, if you go back real quick to chapter 13, verse 25. Just flip back there real quickly. 13, 25. Okay, and it says that, and they returned from searching the land for 40 days. Okay, they were 40 days searching the land. And then you go back here to uh, 1434, and it says, After the number of days in which you search the land, 40 days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquity, even 40 years. Now you know why they wanted the desert for 40 years. Okay? Now you know the reason why. God just didn't pick out a number. I mean, it just didn't take Israel that long to figure out what God was or was not doing. This was, this was ordained by God to be because they went and they searched out the land, which was the land of promise. They came back with such a negative report and everything. And they're saying because of their ways, for each one of those days that you are searching, um, you're going to be wandering for a year. Even for 40 years, you shall know my breach of promise. Verse 35. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do unto all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men who did, who did bring, up e- bring up the evil report from the land, died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were of the men who went to search the land, lived still. All right? And it goes on, and of course you know that they went on occupied the land and, and so forth. Um, uh, 
the problem here is that God said to them, in summing, summing it up, that I'm going to give you this wonderful promised land. All right? Only two of that whole crowd heard God's voice, heard God, and, and stood by his word, had confidence and faith in his word. The whole other congregation, they went there and they spotted every single obstacle you could think of. In their own minds, they said that we will not be able to succeed. They see us as grasshoppers. No, they never told them that they're grasshoppers, but that's how they viewed themselves. Which meant that they didn't have much, much self-esteem. They didn't have much trust in God, you know. So the thing that's in your life that you're working for and you're praying for and you're hoping for, whatever that might be, don't let those obstacles, be they um, situational obstacles or be they obstacles that are said to you and stated to you by those that are around you, don't let those obstacles become internalized and don't you start dwelling on them. You keep focused on the fact that promise that God said to you, that he's going to get you to that point, get you to that place, give to you this thing or whatever it is that you're praying for, you know, and don't let those obstacles stand in the way. Every time you hear a negative report, you rebuke that report in the name of Jesus. I don't know how many times when I've been, you know, going on a mission to do something, and and I'm not talking about a mission to a foreign country, a mission, whatever it is that God has me working on, that someone will pop up and out of the blue, something negative will come, oh, you won't be able to do that, and in real clear, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that. I rebuke that thought. I rebuke that conversation. I will not hear it. I know what God told me I'm going to do. And you hold on to that, you see. And, and in spite of whatever's going on around you, you hold on to what God has said in his word and what he said to you. Caleb and Joshua were the only two out of that whole congregation that held to God's word. Bear in mind that after a while, God does not like us not having faith in him. We read before, I think it was last week, we read the scripture that talked about that, 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 that uh, to doubt God is the same as sin, you know. So we can't, you know, and you can't please God if you're not having faith in him, all right. To lose faith, you can't please God. So just bear in mind that every single time that you're doubting that God's going to bring you into that promised state of being or that condition or to achieve what it is you're praying for, that you run the risk of provoking him. You run the risk of getting, as God, he said, though, he said, I'm a patient God, merciful and all like that, but G was after a while, he's going to say enough is enough. You see, and therefore you can. And all God has to do, God doesn't really have to curse you. All God has to do is to just step back. He has to just step back and remove his his um, his head of protection from around you. And the devil and other circumstances will certainly do the rest. You see, but Caleb and Joshua they held their own, and because of that, they wound up seeing the promised land. We know that Moses, after all of that work, and that's a whole separate sermon, but after all of the work that he did, even Moses didn't get to see the promised land because he didn't follow God's instruction. God told him to speak to the rock to produce water. And what did he do? He decided to hit it. You know, and because of that, even Moses did not make it into the promised land. You see, so the things that we're dealing with with God are very, 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 very serious. But you've got to have unmitigated strength. You've got to have unmitigated faith. You can't let anything that, that, that comes through the course of your daily life, change and alter your path in terms of following what God is telling you to do and the promises that he's made to you, you know. You just have to know that you know that you know that you know that the promised land which God said he's going to give to me, the thing for which I've been praying, will indeed come to pass, okay. And to know that when God said, I have given this land to Israel, God meant that. God meant that, okay. And if you listen to the prime minister over there now, those Jewish people that are in Israel, that's why they're not giving up. That's why they're not giving up. That's their land. That's their land. God promised that to me, to them. Amen? Amen? You all, you all might remember probably the old song from, from Exodus, This Land is Mine, God Gave This Land to Me. Remember that song that was popular back in the 60s or 70s? All right? 
God gave this land to me from, from the movie Exodus. Um, the Jewish people know that that land was given to them. And that's what the fighting is going on over there right now. They're fighting over the others that say that this is not the land and we should be there and all of that. That's what's, this is a biblical war going back some 5,000 years. And I won't even, won't even go there. And I won't even go there. And that's a whole sermon in itself. You see, but that's why God made a promise to the Jewish people that gave them this land. That I gave this land to them. Okay? And, and, and they went on and got it. And so it's the same thing with us with our promised lands. When God promises you something, it's a done deal. You know? And remember, that when God said it's done, doesn't mean necessarily that it's in the next 30 seconds. Doesn't mean that's going to happen in the next day or month. It could be whenever God is, is willing, ready for it to manifest, you know. But again, going back to Daniel, know that, that there is evil out there, and there are those, both, both, both flesh and blood and spiritual, that would rather you not achieve your desired state of being, that they, they would not like to see you succeed. They would not like to see you get to where God wants you to be, all right? There, there are people like that, and there are spiritual forces out there, out there too. So knowing that, that's even more reason why we need to make sure that we keep our faith in God, you know, that we just recognize the fact that God said this is going to happen and that's good enough for me, and then leave it to God. God's the master planner. God knows how to orchestrate things, you know, and that makes it so much easier for you because that means there's less work for you to do. <laughs> there's less worrying for you to do. Now, you know, you, you heard my, my old thing about feeding pigeons on a park bench. You can't be praying for a job and then you're sitting there feeding the pigeons and the squirrels on a park bench and saying, oh, God's going to drop the job on me. You know, God wants us to do some things, but I'm saying as far as the worrying about it is concerned, that's not where we should be. Okay, negative words that come in or the negative thoughts that come into your mind because those thoughts will come in you just rebuke them in the name of Jesus push them away, push those people away that are saying negative things and you hold on to the fact that all of God's promises are yea and amen amen, praise God I pray this message has been a blessing to you and now before we close let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings